Uh, the first reading is from Acts, and it's page 756 from the small print. I didn't realise there was a big print one, but uh, I would love a big print one as well. Um, I don't know what page it is for the big print one. Uh, so Acts, Acts 1. Uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, "'Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised,' which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and in the small print Bible it is on page 803. Does anyone have a number for the large print? 1796 in the large print. So it's chapter 5 starting at verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, um, 
before we get started, just <clears throat> two quick things. One is I uh, apologise for not being prepared for this, um, but uh, Bruce earlier made an announcement about Crusaders, um, and uh, just to reiterate that uh, announcement, I just want, there's a beautiful magazine here, the Crusaders magazine, which has a lovely couple talking about Crusaders. If you want to see that, if you want to get a photocopy of it, pin it up on your wall, that'd be great. <laughs> Soft copy, I'm sure. We, oh, signed copy, yeah. I'm sure Bruce would sign one for you um, or get Glennis. Um, she was here earlier. Where's she gone? She's been, um, she, oh, excellent. Okay. Uh, the other thing, the other announcement as we get started is just to remind us, some of you will have been given or been offered uh, the outline of the talk, this um, small A5 sheet of paper, as you came in. Last year, in the past, we've been giving them out just in all the uh, notices, uh, which is great. Uh, but over last, last week, I was just, just did a bit of a straw poll just to see how many people actually used them, um, rather than just had them in the sheet, took them home and then recycled them. Uh, and it was a relatively small number. So what, we've decided, what I've decided to do is, at least as a trial, is to copy less of them and to have them available for you. So one of the things that Parish Council is doing this year is trying to uh, just be aware of our, um, our use of the environment and not wanting to waste resources that God has given to us. Uh, and so as you come in each day, there should be <coughs> pardon me, an outline of the talk. Um, so if you're the kind of person who takes notes, then please grab one. Um, but if you're not a person who takes notes, don't feel any shame in um, uh, just saying no, that's fine. Um, there's, there's no judgment here. I mean, it is, I would encourage you, if you are, like, it is a helpful thing to write down as you, as you, as you hear. Um, it helps it stick in the brain a bit more. But, um, yeah, as I say, it's up to you. So just, that's why they're not just regularly in, just in the news sheets anymore. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll look at the Bible together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity it is to come and to hear you speak to us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, as we look at your word now, that you would lay bare our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, that you would comfort us and encourage us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we will leave here this morning different people, uh, inspired to love and to serve you, uh, to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of my favourite movies uh, and one of the most iconic movies of the 1980s was this one, um, The Blues Brothers. Uh, great movie, uh, Jake and Elwood Blues. Um, have they're given something? Uh, they're given something to do. Can anybody remember what it is? Who saw the movie? They are given a mission from God. Um, God, um, Jake is the one I think who has the um, the the vision of God. He has seen the light, and he does the tumble tumble turns up and down the the uh, aisle, which I might try and do next week. Um, but uh, and and he has this vision from God. They've got to go and save the orphanage which that they grew up in, um, and the, the the rest of the movie ensues. Ensues, and they manage to succeed. This great mission, that idea of being sent on a mission from God on this great mission, uh, is not unique. Of course, the Blues Brothers. Uh, back in the '60s, there was a great TV program which turned into a um, uh, a movie franchise uh, a little bit later on. Uh, called Mission Impossible. Can anybody tell me how does Mission Impossible always start? There's something right in the, right in the very beginning that happens in every Mission Impossible's movie or, t- or episode. Sorry? They're given a mission. And so you may remember uh, they're given a mission and it says, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to 
you know, recover this nuclear device or rescue this kidnapped diplomat, whatever it might be. Um, and then, of course, after uh, five, pretty soon, um, they're told this message will self-destruct. And so, sure enough, five seconds later, um, there is an explosion or some kind of thing, uh, and the message goes. This great mission from this great mission they're sent on a really important mission. Now you and I know what it is to be sent on missions. Um, perhaps not as significant as a mission possible. Perhaps not as convoluted as the Blues Brothers. Um, but we've all been sent on missions, haven't we? Can you go to the shops and get me some milk? That's a mission. Um, you ha- can you hand in this assignment on the 21st of May? Can you uh, fulfil this? Can you prepare this, uh, this activity at work, wherever it might be? We've all been given missions to do. Some of them not so exciting, some of them a bit more exciting. I don't know if anyone's... Has anyone ever had a really exciting mission that they've been given to do? Uh, Bruce? Excellent. Fantastic. Fantastic. So we do sometimes get sent on, some missions are more exciting than others. Well, this year, and particularly in the first two months of this year, we're going to be thinking about and hearing about a mission from God that he has given to each of us. Um, As we lead up to Easter, and particularly to Easter Fest, we're going to be thinking about a mission that we have that is given from God, that every one of us is part of. Um, we're going to get there in a moment, um, but first of all, let's go back to the book of Acts. So if you've got your, your Bibles there, turn to the book of Acts. Uh, does anyone know who Acts is written by? Written by Luke. By, it's written by Luke. Um, it's actually the second volume, and you'll never guess what his first volume is called. It's called Luke. Excellent. So in Luke's first volume, he talks about Jesus. He tells the story of Jesus. He talks about the amazing things Jesus does, the healings, um, the bringing people back from the dead. Jesus does amazing things, but Jesus also says amazing things. Uh, he, gives us a, he gives us a Reader's Digest version of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he gives us more parables. He tells us more parables of Jesus than any of the other gospel writers. Um, he focuses a lot on what Jesus has to say. Um, so John, Luke wants to tell us about the amazing things Jesus does, the amazing things he says, and particularly he leads us up to the salvation that Jesus brings. Um, because he wants, to, he wants to see that God is very much at work in Jesus. But the end of the gospel kind of ends with this strange ending. Um, Jesus has died and has risen again, and he kind of leaves. He departs, he disappears into the clouds, and his disciples see him no more. And so you kind of go at the end of the Gospel of Luke, well, what next? It's like an episode of um, one of the TV shows that you were watching or like the end of Lord of the Rings where they, where they see what this, the story is about to continue and they give you this appetizer of what's about to happen, but we, you can't wait to find out what's next. And so Luke's Gospel ends with this kind of, what's gonna, where's it going to go from here? Well, of course, in the book of Acts, Luke picks up that volume. <clears throat> and in the, in the first passage you see in, in Luke's, Second volume in the book of Acts, um, he gives his disciples two things. We're going to look at it very, very quickly. Two things that he gives to his disciples. Uh, He gives them a promise and he gives them a mission. The first one is a promise. Uh, Is there in verse 4 and 5. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. He says, wait for the, what my, the gift my father has promised, the Holy Spirit. God is going to give you his spirit. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, the spirit was given to particular people for a particular task. So a prophet would be given the spirit to, to prophesy. Or a king might be given a, uh, um, the, the, uh, the spirit to rule. God gave his spirit to its particular individuals. But now, Jesus says, God's gift is going to come on all people. God's gift, the Holy Spirit, is going to come to all. Uh, and we're going to hear about that next week, exactly how that happens and what happens. But basically what's happening is that Jesus is laying the foundation for the rest of Christian history. You see, if Luke's first volume was about God at work through his son, his second volume is about God at work through his spirit and through his people. And so what we're going to see in the book of Acts as we go through in the next couple of months, we're going to see God at work through his people, um, empowered by his spirit. You see, these people are ordinary people, just like you and me. They're no one special. They're kind of... um, Carpenters and um, fishermen and tax collectors, they're ordinary folk. Um, but God is going to empower them to do something amazing. So he gives them a promise and he gives them a mission. The mission is there in verse 8. Uh, let me read it for you. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There it is. But you will also be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Their job is to be a witness. Now, you know what a witness is? You, you might, some, might be a witness of an accident or witness of a crime or something. Um, you talk about what you saw, what you heard. And that's exactly what the disciples are going to do. They're going to talk about what they've seen and what they've heard. They've seen and they've heard Jesus. And they're going to go and they're going to tell about Jesus. And in fact, that verse is like the, um, like the topic sentence, if you like, for the whole of the book. Because you see the gospel start in Jerusalem and then it spreads like the ripples from a, um, from a stone tossed into a pond. It starts in Jerusalem, then it goes to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then on and on and on to the ends of the earth. God is going to do a great thing through these people. He's going to bring salvation to the ends of the earth through them. Which is why, of course, they needed um, help. They needed this great promise. Because there's only about 11 of them. And you know how many of the... Uh, uh, are there of us here? Maybe 40, something like that. So about a quarter of our room against the world. Of course they're going to need the Holy Spirit because there's so few of them and the world is so big. But God says, I will give you this, this enabling, this power, um, because you've got this amazing task to take this mission to the ends of the earth. Which is all very lovely, isn't it? What a nice story. God talking to these people, these 11 disciples. You know, they're, they're in a u- unique position. They've seen Jesus, they've heard Jesus in the flesh. Uh, and so they, they're able to talk about what they've seen and what they've heard. But the big question is, is, is this mission to the ends of the earth, is this our mission? Because in the end, we're not the disciples. We weren't there on that mountaintop. Jesus didn't give that mission to us. Is it just theirs? to take the, the message out, or just to the, just to the special ones? 
uh, like Paul, for instance. In fact, um, the book of Acts focuses quite a bit on Paul taking this mission to the ends of the earth. And it kind of ends a bit like the, the gospel does with this mysterious kind of ending. It doesn't end with this great climax. It ends with Paul sitting in jail just talking to people about Jesus. He doesn't quite get to the ends of the earth. He's got to Rome, but that's as far as he gets. And you kind of, again, end the book with, well, what does it, does it happen? Does the gospel go to the ends of the earth? Is this anything to do with us? Well, of course, although we didn't physically see Jesus and we didn't physically hear him, um, we weren't there when he rose from the dead. Um, we do know Jesus, don't we? We have met Jesus. He has spoken to us. He has revealed himself to us. He has, he has rescued us. And as we see, as we read through the rest of the New Testament, um, that indeed this mission is our mission. Now, there are lots of places we could look at. I just want to look at a couple of verses really quickly and then focus on one. Uh, the first one is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. And he says, I have become all things to all people, so that all possible means I might save some. Which sounds great, doesn't it? What a good guy Paul is. He's given his life to serving God so that people might hear the gospel. But he goes on to say in the next chapter, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Well, that's what he's just said. We've heard that. Yes, he's doing that. But then the kicker comes, the very next verse. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is saying, this is my job. This is what I do. I give my all so that by any possible means I might save some. Then he says, you guys need to follow my, you need to be like me. Just talking to ordinary Christians like you and me. But it's not just uh, to the uh, Corinthian church he says that. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes again to the church in Colossae, another town, be wise in the way you, you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He says to them, the ordinary Christians in an ordinary church, make the most of every opportunity that you have. Watch your conversations. Always be ready to answer, to answer anyone who speaks to you. It's the same thing that Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Again, Peter's not just writing to the special people. He's writing to, in fact, the churches across the whole region. All the Christians across the whole region. Everyone, be ready, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. This is a task not just for the special ones, but for all. The last passage I want to look at is that passage we had read, uh, that Lorna read for us from 2, Peter, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Can you turn with, it, with me to it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's on page seven, 1796 on the black Bibles. In the brown Bibles, it's on page number 803. Paul is again writing to the same church in Corinth. Um, and he's got a few things to say to them about this mission and three reasons that I could see why we should take on this mission. Three reasons. And the first one's there in verse 10 and 11. He says this For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us in the th for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. 
The first reason has to do with the fear of the Lord. Now, this idea of fear in the Bible, when it talks about fear of the Lord, is not talking about terror, as if we're scared of God or afraid of God. It's more a picture of, um, of awe, or an awe of God's majesty. And I guess um, standing, understanding the, the dominion and the rule he has over us. In particular, in this context, he's talking about judgment. We know that we'll stand before God as, ju- as our judge. Now, of course, people in the world will stand before God as judge. The people out here will stand before God as their judge. Um, so we, uh, we live in a suburb of 3,500 people, East Linfield. So that's not talking about people, foreigners from Gordon or Kalara or whatever. Um, but just in East Linfield, we're 3,500 people. Um, that's, and we, we've got a church of, say, 150, something like that. Now, there are some who go to other churches and other places in our suburb, but that's about 3,000 people who will stand before God as their judge who don't know him yet. We know that they will stand before God, and we will stand before God. You may remember Jesus tells a parable, uh, the parable of the talents. Do you remember that parable where a landowner um, calls his servants in, calls three of his servants in, and he gives them three different amounts of money, and he says, I want you to look after this money, deal with this money, and I'm going to go away, and then I'm going to come back. And when, while he's away, the, the servants, two of them kind of work hard and they put it to, to put a good use. The other one kind of hides it away and does nothing with it. Um, the master comes back, and what does he do? He, there's a judgment. He calls the servants in one by one and says, what have you done with the things I've given you, the money I gave you? And so they are... They, they are rewarded accordingly, except for the one who does nothing. He, he, uh, he is judged for what he has done. In our culture, we get angry, don't we, when you see one of those news items about uh, where there's a bushfire or a building collapse. You know the building um, in, at Homebush that one um, that people have bought into, uh, and it was build, built really shoddily and it's falling down, that kind of thing. And you get angry, don't you, at the, um, at the builders, you get angry at the, 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 uh, at the authorities for not checking up and making sure. You know, these people have poured good money into these apartments and the, the, the due diligence wasn't done. You know, somebody was supposed to check up on the, the quality of their building and it wasn't done or somebody was to, it was to make sure that they built them properly but they just didn't do it. And so we get angry at that, don't we? The person should have done their job and they didn't. One day Jesus will come, home, come back and he will say, what have you done? What have I done with, the, with what he has given me? Now, he's not just talking about what have I done with my money. He's talking about what I've done with the message. What a tragedy it would, do, it would be to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, Jesus, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. That's great. I didn't quite get around to telling anyone about it, though, uh, because... You know, I thought it was just for me, or or I thought it was uh, I thought it was Steve's job. I mean, he's paid for this, uh, or I thought it uh, it was it was the, the leader's job, or it was the missionaries. They were doing that, weren't they? Uh, or you know, I, I, I was too busy, or you know, there, there were other things I had to do in my life. What a tragedy it would be to stand before God and say, "Yes, you've given me all this, and yet I've done nothing with it." Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade people. 
So the first reason why I think this is our mission is because we know that we will stand before God one day and give an account for how we have lived and what we've done with the gospel message he's given us. Now, if that was the only reason to be involved in this mission, well, that would be a pretty lousy reason. It'd be like God. It would be the the stick. God standing with a stick. And we're just afraid of God. It really would be that just because we fear God, we're afraid of Him. But there's one. There's another reason that is much more powerful. That's much more motivating. That's much more positive. It's there in verse fourteen. Paul says, "For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced, we're convinced that one died for all." And therefore, all died. What is it that compels Paul to be involved in this mission? It's Christ's love. And not Christ's love in choosing him as a special missionary, but it's Christ's love in giving his life. Think of what Jesus has done for me. He has done so much. He gave his very life, he gave up all the comfort and the glory of heaven to die on a cross so that I could be saved. What amazing love that is. It's astounding that he's poured that, that copious love into my life. Because of that great love, how can I keep that love in? How can I put a, put a dam or a stopper around myself so that the love just comes to me and to no one else? God wants me to be a conduit of his love, which is, after all, what our church is all about. If I was to ask you what our church's mission statement is, you'd be able to tell me, I know, what is it? Upward, inward, outward, yeah, we, we'll get those. There's something about directions. Um, upward, oh, sorry, the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. Um, the love of Christ. Um, something about directions. But what, what's, what do the directions mean? Upward, inward, outward. What does that mean? What's the upward mean? It's about loving God. See, we are a church. If you don't know, it's on the front page of the news sheet every week. Okay, So you can always look there. Um, our church, this is what we are about. We are a church that is committed to loving God. That is our primary focus as people, is to love God. He's our creator. But our love doesn't stop there. Because we also, the inward is loving each other. Okay, So we, it's about love for each other. But again, and it's important, it's important for us to care for one another and to, to support one another and encourage each, each other. That's what our church is about. But the love doesn't stop there. Because what's the third love of love? The outward love. It's about bringing God's love to the world for the glory of Christ. This is who we are, St. Peter's. This is who you are. You are a people who are about loving God, loving each other, and bringing Christ's love to the world. God has poured his love into our lives, and that love seeps out from us. Not just to the people next to us, although it does, but to those outside. Our world is full of people who don't know Jesus. They need his love. They haven't experienced what you've experienced, the forgiveness, the hope, the future that is yours. They don't know that. We've got that. We've got that amazing love. Do you share that love? Does that love compel you? You've experienced it. You've received it. Have you put a dam around yourself to keep that love in? So the first reason that we should be part of this mission is because we know what it is to fear the Lord. 
The second reason is because we know where it is to be loved by God. The third reason um, is in verse 17. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We have been given a fresh start. We've been, in Jesus' words, born again. Uh, We now have a new reason for being. That's why the verse before in verse 16, he says, From now on, we no longer regard one. uh, so So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We, we now look at people in a different way. When I look out here and I look at the people at East Linfield, I no longer see well, just my neighbours or um, a doctor and a teacher and a plumber and somebody who stays home looking after the kids and a teenager or a small child. I no longer see them as the world sees them. I now see them as somebody who's dearly loved by God, someone for whom Christ has died, someone who doesn't know about Jesus Christ, somebody who's living without hope that Christ can give them. That's how I see people now. Because I'm a new being, I'm a new creation. That's why Paul says we are now ambassadors. We are like the people who go to the UN or to the ambassadors to other countries. An ambassador is somebody who goes to a foreign land and represents the interests of the country they come from in that country. And that is us. We don't need to go to another country, although we could. Um, we, are in, we are in a foreign country here. We may have been born and bred here, but we don't belong here. As, part of, as somebody who has accepted the salvation that's come through Jesus, we are now citizens of heaven. That is our home, and so we are ambassadors here. So you are his witnesses whether you like it or not. When you go travelling, um, you're Australians, right? Most of you, I look around. Um, as you go travelling as an Australian overseas, you go as an ambassador of Australia. And as you go, when people meet you, they'll go, oh, that's what Australians are like. So if you're a nice, friendly, outgoing kind of person, they'll think Australians are nice, friendly, outgoing kind of people. If you're a boorish, um, arrogant, loudmouth um, so-and-so, uh, then that's what they're going to think Australians are like. As you go, you are an ambassador, whether you like it or not. And so that is what we are. We are this new creation. We are ambassadors. We've been given a new job. And so whether we like it or not, we are his witnesses. We can be good ones or we can be lousy ones, but that is what we are. So there are three reasons why we should be involved in this mission. Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, because we know what it is to experience the love of Christ, and because we look at others differently, because we are a new creation. That's what the the name tags are about, just incidentally, I I forgot to say that. Um, The reason we have name tags is not because we think they're great fashion items. I think they're terribly daggy. But, and I much prefer not to wear them, Um, but the reason we wear them is not for us. I know who Heather is, I know who Abby is, I know who Bruce is. I don't need a name tag to remind me about Bruce. The reason they need a name tag is because it's quite likely that on a Sunday morning a visitor will come. We hope and we pray that as we get involved in this mission that new people will come. The name tags are for them. And although there may be none here, but it says something to us, doesn't it? That we're looking for, we're expecting, we're hoping for new people to be here. And so I want to encourage you, you don't have to, like if you really want to 
stick your heels in, that's okay. You won't get hit over the head for not wearing them. But this is just a, a small symbol of the fact that we are now looking at the world differently. We even look at church differently. And we don't act just for the things I want. I don't want to wear it. Um, but we're thinking um, of, of those who might come in. So we're a new creation. We have a new start. So what now? Well, there's three things uh, I want to ask you. The first one is, do you realise that you have a mission from God? You may, not, you may think that your life is you just go, go, it's a bit of a rat race. You just go from one day to the next. You, you, you just live through work and you get to the weekend and you, the kids full of kids or whatever. Uh, you may think that life is just, just rolls and it has no meaning or purpose. But that is not true for you. As one of God's people, you have a vital mission. You are part of a great mission from God. That's the first thing. Do you realise that you have such a privilege, such a position? And if that's the case, the second question is, how are you involved in the mission? What are you doing as part of that mission? Is there something, is there a way that you're involved? Um, I've been reading over, over the, the Christmas holidays a, um, a book by a guy by the name of Sam Chan. He's an um, Australian uh, preacher. And this, this book is about evangelism in our secular world. And uh, he tells a story um, about when he was younger. He's, he's Asian. And he says, as, you know, one, of the, one of the things that's true about life is that Asians don't swim. Now, that may be not true for the people here, but that was <laughs> his expression. Uh, and he says, as he grew up um, on the north coast of New South Wales, he grew up as the only Asian in his, his class and therefore the only person who couldn't swim. And the, the class used to go, go off to swim school. And swim school was the easiest job in the world for the swim instructor because everyone, they lived by the beach, everyone could swim. And so they just, he'd just say, right, do laps. And so people would just jump in and do laps, except for Sam. Sam would jump in and he'd just go, he'd be flailing around and start sinking. And the, the instructors would just yell, swim, swim, swim. And Sam goes, look, I, I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just can't. I don't know how to swim. And he gives that illustration because he says, sometimes church is like that. Sometimes ministers are like that when it comes to evangelism. That uh, they, say, they stand out the front and they say, evangelize, mission, go out, be in the mission. And people, you may feel like, you're, Sam, you're just flailing around and go, I don't know how. Stop telling me to do it. So I'm hoping that over the next two months, um, as we lead up to Easter and to Easter Fest, that we're able to help you, to empower you to do that. Um, we're we're going to be looking through the book of Acts and looking at particular aspects of mission and evangelism to try and, and help each of us to be involved in this. And if there are any ways that we can help, in, if there are specific things that you think, well, I don't know how to explain the gospel really succinctly, or I don't know how to answer questions, or I don't know how to, to be a Christian at work, or whatever it might be. Um, if you have those questions, then please ask, and we'll try and help you with those things. Because my job as, as a leader in the church is to do just that. In Ephesians 4, verse 12, it says, God has given leaders in the church, evangelists, pastors, etc., um, to prepare God's people for works of service. So my job is to help prepare you, and, and myself, and to be involved in the mission myself, but to prepare you. And so I want to encourage you to please come and ask, if there are ways that we can help for you to be involved, please ask us. And so I hope over the next two months, you, you'll be challenged and and, and strengthen to actually be involved in this mission with us. 
The third question, last question I want to ask you is, um, who is God sending you to? As I said, in this suburb there are 3,500 people, um, 150 so of us here, maybe another 50 who go to other churches. Um, there are 800 people who, in the census, identify themselves as Anglican. Where are they? I'll tell you, they're not in, in our church. <laughs> they're not all in our church, and they're not in the churches around. Um, they just they have this cultural identity with Anglicans. And that's not even to mention the other 2,500 people who also don't, don't know about Jesus. There are so many people here, and we have representatives here, not just from East Linfield, of course, but from Linfield and from, and from Gordon and from Kalara and from Roseville and from other, church, other places around. There are so many people. Oh, and from where? Roselle, yeah. I said, did I say Rose? I said Roseville. So that's close. Anyway, um, we have representatives here from lots of different suburbs. Anyways, the people around us need to know Jesus. Who are the ones that you know? that don't know him. Can you, at the very least, start praying for them? We're going to be thinking about how we might reach out and, and so as we lead up to Easter Fest, we'll be planning different events and things. But I want to encourage you to start thinking, who can you pray for now? We're going to go on a new mission. Well, it's not a new mission, it's an old mission, but we're trying to revitalise the mission here at St Peter's to reach out to our area with the gospel to be involved in the mission that started with Jesus and is now going to the ends of the earth. Will you join us? Let me pray. Dear Lord God, we want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be part of this mission. Lord, I ask that you would empower us, that you would strengthen us, that you would show us how we can be involved. Father, I pray that this year and in all years from now on, that we might see... Uh, everyone in our church being involved in reaching out with the gospel. And as we do that, that you would bless us with the the privilege of seeing people saved and seeing your kingdom grow. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.